is film like milk. Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk. Skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me, of course, is the man with the alternate lifestyle, the secret family in the suburbs that he could have had if he'd only just not gotten on that plane. David William Rogers, hello to you. What is happening? How's it going? It is going. It is Christmas holidays. Merry Christmas to those that celebrate. Happy Hanukkah. It's, you know, it's a time. It's a, it it's a family time. You're with your it family is. and your partner's family. I hope you're eating all the delicious food. I am definitely eating too much. So, yeah, life is good. It sure is, Paris. You know, it's that time of year where you reflect a little bit and you're mm. like, how would my family look if I only would have stayed with that one person? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of questions like, who would I be married to if I'd never gotten on the plane to come to L.A.? Who would you be married to if you'd never, you know... Driven to L.A. Moved to great, you know, the building you live in. Yeah. I was about to say it, and then I was like, actually, maybe I won't, because then stalkers the will address come. where David lives. And his social security number <laughs> is... One. Number one. He's got, he, he got the first one. That was one. the first one. one ever. So, David, what is the film we are doing today? The magical holiday movie we are doing today is The Family Man, year mm. 2000, when all the computers shut down, as everybody remembers, mm-hmm. and the world ended for a while. It was directed by Brett Ratner, who's got a ton of credits. He did like the Rush Hour movies, a bunch of other stuff. Writing credits go to David Diamond, probably a stripper name, and then David Weissman. Mm. And this you- stars Nicolas Cage, Tay Leone, which... Uh, every time I see her, I'm just like, oh, my God, I have a crush on you. Um, John she still Cheadle. looks fantastic, yeah, by the way, she if does. you go to her IMDb. Like, damn, girl. What's up? Jeremy Piven, Saul Rubinek, just uh, a lot of good people. Their daughter that plays this movie was fantastic, too. She's a super yeah. cutie. The character is Annie. Vega. Um, did yeah. you see who did the music? It's our good friend, Danny Elfman. That's a oh, callback <laughs> to Elfman. our 100th episode. Wow. If you That's listened. Um, yeah. got a little silly. If you didn't, go back and listen to it. But David, I assume, in fact, I know because I saw you earlier, uh, that you have seen this film before. I have. And this was kind of slept on. I think my mom told me about this movie way back, watched it, and it found its place like in my top five holiday movies. Hmm. So and I you had, I had never not, seen this? I thought I had not seen this. And then when I started watching it, I was getting these like flashbacks. So I think potentially I may have seen it once many, many years ago with my parents or something, mm-hmm. or it was on TV and I caught bits of it. So not you got really a glimpse. Sure. I got a glimpse. It's true. <laughs> but obviously as an adult um, and being kind of around the same age as this character, I feel like you have a different appreciation for this film. So I want to get into that, but I believe it's your turn to do the synopsis. So what do you got for me? Okay. So we got Nick Cage, fan of the podcast, friend of ours. He <laughs> is he is at an airport with Tay Leone. I don't know whoever would make this decision, but he did. He's going to do a internship abroad and she's got a, you know, a spot at a, a law firm in the States. So he goes to England. She's like, no, I think you should stay. I have a bad feeling about this in my gut. He's like, baby, you, I love you. You love me. Nothing 
person's going to change that a year apart won't change it. Then they fast forward 13 years. He's, you know, living in a high rise in New York. He's at this big firm. He's rich as fuck, um, sleeping with, you know, beautiful women, just kind of living a life of like materialism, I would say. And he wants to be the best at everything. Um, then one night, it's like Christmas Eve, he goes into a gas station, Don Cheadle, gets upset because he's trying to cash in a lottery ticket. They get into it with the person that owns it. He steps in, uh, Nicholas Cage, Jack Campbell's character. I'll buy the ticket, starts talking to Don Cheadle. And he's like, all right, man, like I'm going to help you out or whatever. So he wakes up and he's in a different house in New Jersey with Taylioni and a dog and two kids. And he's getting a glimpse of what his life could have been if he would have stayed in not never left, never flew to England, stayed with Taylor on his character, Kate Reynolds. So um, end of the movie, he like goes through it. He lives his whole life. He's working, selling tires for her dad's company. He's got friends. He thinks about having an affair while he's there because it doesn't count. His daughter like thinks he's an alien because it's not actually him. And in the end of it, he goes um, to the airport where Taylioni was like, I think she gave him something that um, she left before or before they broke up. And he tells her not to stay. And he relives the whole part of, you know, them having a family, tells him about their daughter and their son. And she stays. He's like, you can find another flight later. And they ended on them two talking in uh, the airport. So this movie's about kind of like not necessarily, well, they talk about regret and what could have happened and a different decision was made. And he did stay with Taylioni and throughout Nicholas Cage's like journey in this, he starts to realize that he is kind of missing out on the family aspect and how much he loved um, Taylioni's character. And, you know, and he realizes that towards the end of the movie. Yes, that is a good assessment of this film. Mm-hmm. couple thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, I want to share with you that the last 30 minutes of this movie, you know, when you're on an airplane and you're kind of like half falling asleep and you're jerking awake, there yeah. were a couple times where my eyes closed. It wasn't even that late. Um, <laughs> but I think I was very tired. It's a very tiring time of year. And this movie is a little long. You have to admit it's like two something hours. Yes, but I, I see what you're saying. I felt it moved okay, though. They probably could have cut like maybe 15 minutes. And then, out I, wouldn't, of this. then I wouldn't have been falling asleep. Yeah, if they'd come okay. <laughs> I would have been awake. But um, for me, there's a halfway point in this film where you start to get. Like, I feel like I, I felt like I got it. And maybe that's the point of the movie is like you see this like mundane-ish kind of like suburby type life, but it just felt like it dragged a little. Yeah. And I kind of was like falling asleep. But I didn't like fully fall asleep. It was just like one of those a couple times I like jerked forward and was like, oh shit. But I was back. Um, but it's a bit long. And I'm just gonna go, I'm just gonna dive straight in. I yeah. think this movie what's the term I'm looking for? Glorifies that suburb family life. I think that this movie a little bit is like basically living a millennial selfish life that we (laughs) live right now is bad and Mm -hmm. having kids and, you know, having a family is good, which is not to say that I disagree necessarily. Like I'm find myself more and more on the fence about having kids, but it's something I always thought I would do. I just thought 
there was a slight preachiness to this. Like Nick Cage's character in the beginning, oh my God, he's such an asshole. He lives in this apartment and he's like got women coming in every night and he's he's a bull buster at work and all this shit. And I have to say, I found myself very much preferring his life, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's a little bit different because, yeah, him and Jerry Piven were supposed to be in their 30s, like full family, house, all that good stuff. Um, but as millennials, I feel like we have to, a decent amount of us have to live um, that single life or mm-hmm. just with your partner, but at the same kind of suburban lifestyle because we can't really afford housing like that mm-hmm. student loans all of those things i think we've, um, talk, we've talked about this in the past like we watched um the burbs right and yeah it's like tom hanks's character was like in his 30s but had like a 10 year old and to mm-hmm. us we're just like this is fucking crazy because we're in yeah. our mid-30s now and that i have lo- friends that have three kids though you know and they're and they're doing their thing very happy it's i feel like it's Maybe it's LA, 30-something-year-olds. Could be, or like just bigger cities just in general. Yeah. Um, But there's there's part of this, like I was telling you, I I saw the new Avatar movie and there's little blue babies in it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I still have, I have a little part of me that's like, at some point it'd be cool to have a little, not blue baby, but I think uh, it's, well, you never know. (laughs) You wait, (laughs) baby comes out, you're like, what the fuck? Um, Oh, that's from my great, it skips three generations, but great, great granddaddy was a A blue. (laughs) He was a blue. (laughs) He was a blue. Um, Yeah. I mean, I just don't think necessarily that things are as black and white as they kind of make them in this film. Mm -hmm. I think there's this idea that like you have kids and you have to move to the suburbs and get the like white picket fence and the dog and whatever. And my counter to that would be that I grew up in Hong Kong in a tiny apartment with two siblings. You know, we had two dogs. And Hong Kong's a very busy city and, you know, the suburb thing, I don't know. I just think it's this like kind of throwback nineties, early two thousands thing. You know, how many people do we know that are having babies now, maybe in like Wisconsin or wherever? Yes, they can have these backyards to your point. They can have these Mm -hmm. big homes, but like, you know, my friend's pregnant and she's going to have her baby and they're going to live in a two bedroom apartment in LA because that's what they can afford and that's their lives. And they're not suddenly going to change their entire identities because they have a kid. I mean, maybe we'll see in a couple of years if she's like, Oh, we're moving to Pasadena or Glendale or somewhere, you know, further out. That was just something that really struck me. It was like, it wasn't like you could have it both ways. And they could have, right. Because I said, they could have had it both ways. Jack gets the internship for right. the company that in his other life, his other timeline, basically, um, that he could have worked for, they would have had a full apartment. And then Tay Leone's character is like, we don't want to pull Annie out of the school. And you know what I mean? He's like, well, these are the best schools. Mm-hmm. And so I, that kind of, I struggled with. And I feel like Nicholas Cage's character struggled with the whole time back and forth. He's like, no, but I can do this. I want to do this for us. And Taylioni was saying like, we have it good. I'm happy living this life. And see, okay. So I'm going to call from moving forward. I'm going to call his original life, life a, and then B B life is like when he has the kids, when he wakes up. So I think that yes, they were happy and stuff like that, but it's also like, you know, there was a lot of sacrifice in timeline B, which was, yeah. you know, 
he worked at this place he didn't really care about. He didn't make a great deal of money. And there's this scene where he wants to buy this suit and he has like fucking tantrum about it. It's like $2,400 and they just like can't afford that, which fair enough. Like that's a lot of money for a I suit. Mean, if I was rich, I probably wouldn't buy a $2,400 <laughs> suit. Yeah. You know? But things have also changed, you know, status symbols these days, like some of the richest people we know in LA wear baggy jeans or mm. sweatpants. You know, I think that's all, that's all kind of changed, but I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just so cynical and I'm just like that childless millennial, but I really felt like he sort of had settled in his timeline B, uh, you know, the, the guy that wasn't actually him, that was like the version of him that had stayed. And it's actually okay to want to change to, to work hard, you know, maybe yeah. again, this is such a, a different perspective, but my parents moved us around quite a bit. And yes, I, the only time I remember being furious about it, I was like 14, but I was a, that was a very awkward age, but like at Annie's age, I think she's probably like four or five in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's little, yeah, you know, she kids, is. kids are very adaptable. And if you can provide a better life ultimately, um, yeah, you should pull them out of school and yeah, take them to a different I- school. And I feel like, so they had a great relationship in um, life B, mm-hmm. but financial strain is a big factor when mm. people split up and on the strain of a family. So yeah, if you can have a little more financial security, and he talks about giving up his dream and then he asking Taylor you know, well, what did you want? Like what, because his, uh, what, father-in-law had a heart attack in timeline B, so he had to start working there and he just stayed there. And I was a little like, I couldn't go bowling, you know, I couldn't have bowling be my thing or any kind of little, like not little sport, but something like that where I'm dedicated that's all my free time. Like, that's what I go do. I cringed at that a little bit, but that's just me. But that's right? also, it, I think again, it's this hangover from this like eighties, nineties dad, you know, this movie's made in 2000, yeah. you know, I think back to like, um, Tim Allen and home improvement, like the, the suburban dad was pl- like playing in a bowling league or he was, mm-hmm. you know, doing home improvement things around the house. I think now, like I have friends that have kids, they don't c- completely, become these parents. Like, I think our generation is still like, you still have your personality. You still, you know, you're, you're two individuals in a relationship that also have kids. And I'm sure some people disappear into that. And it's very hard for us to speak about it without having children ourselves. But I think this idea of the dad was like, yeah, everything in his life was kind of about these like stereotypes, you know? Yeah. Which I push against, um, like if, if that do what makes you happy and then everything else hopefully will, you know, be lifted up by that. Mm-hmm. But I always kind of push back. And I think you and I talked about it this weekend when we were at that bar crawl. Like you can you could do your life the way you want to do it. You can have your relationship the way you want it. You can have you can raise your kids how you want to raise them. You don't yeah. it doesn't have to fit in a certain box like what you've seen on TV movies yeah. or even like what your friends or other family how they did it. If it's if it works for you and you know you're you're raising your kids right or you're just happy with your partner and you don't have kids, you you can live this life how you want it. Yeah, I think this was just like this kind of hangover from those time periods of like what parents look like, you know, and now, I don't know, again, maybe it's because we've rounded the corner and we're like closer in age (laughs) to all the parents in all these movies and stuff. Yeah, we're like, whoa. I just, I resented that like he couldn't be, you know, a hardworking trader and at the same time be a dad. You know, it was like, oh, you got to be, got to be one or the other. You got to sell tires or you got to be like the guy Mm -hmm. on Wall Street. Yeah. I I get, I get the aspect of like them, 
they're leaving their friend group, right? Um, some of their kids probably play together, things like that. But yeah, that, it's just, that group was kind of toxic. The a little fr- bit. Jeremy yeah. Jeremy Piven's character was like, when I was going to have an affair last year, you know, you talked me out of it. And then there's this one woman who's like so inappropriate. Trying Evelyn. to sleep sleep with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. yeah. And like. And she's married Obviously, with kids. she's been getting away with shit like that for a long time. Like, so the person that, you know, he was, the B, that wasn't really him, was like obviously entertaining this or like just not completely rebuffing her because he does finally like ask her like, what's going on between us? And she's like, oh, I'm so glad you like brought it up head on. Yeah. Are we are we actually speaking about this? Yeah. And yeah. Um, did you see, okay, so there's also like a religious factor to this, if you caught that. When I, Don, I, read, I read something about it. Yeah. So obviously Don Cheadle, they don't mention it, but he's kind of like an angel. So mm. I like the part of that's woven through this. He's like trying to give people chances. He tries to give the shop owner or the business owner in the gas station or whatever, 7-Eleven, a chance. And the guy kind of shits on him, doesn't even look at the ticket, stereotypes him. Mm-hmm. He's like, you had your chance. And then he also does it to that girl. Um, she bought something for 99 cents towards the end of the movie and he gives her back nine dollars and one penny mm-hmm. like and you know she didn't really give him a 10 and she walks out and he's like oh she had her chance like this thing that we're you know you can be tested in life and he and don Cheeto talks about yeah character but um when they were speaking after their first interaction there was a big cross on the building in the background yeah i had read that i yeah. had honestly missed it when i was mm-hmm. watching it because i was so fixated on the stereotyping of the Asian characters and of Don yeah. Cheadle with a gun. Because he does not talk like that. The Asian character, he's um, he's in that new sh- uh, HBO Max show um, where they're like stock traders in, in the UK. I don't know if you've seen oh, it. Oh, Industry? Industry, yeah. yeah. I, ha- I haven't uh, seen it, but my friends are he's obsessed a really with good, it. He's a really good actor and he does not talk like that at right. all. So they, and, they you know, told him to You and I made a short during that. the pandemic with a friend of mine, Jean, who is a, an actress from Asian background. And like, just to hear her discussing that, you know, a lot, she's like a incredibly well-trained martial artist actually. And, uh, you know, she was like, yeah, the, the breakdowns that I see are like nail technician, you know, masseuse. Um, and it's, so it that scene really made me cringe. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yep. Same. Yeah. And then it just was so kind of unnecessary to have these like two, yeah. Hey, you, two, you two minority groups, yeah. be uh, a, caric- a caricature of yourself and argue. Yeah. Go. And yeah. action. And also, okay. White so guys, white guy in, will step in. In the film, um, Don, you know, basically pulls this gun pretty quickly. And Nicholas Cage tries to defuse the situation by being like, I will buy this ticket off you for $200 so that I can make 30 bucks. Like he basically, they think this guy's like fucking crazy. I mean, he pulls a gun in the fucking middle of a shop and he's like, walks him outside. And then he walks and talks with him. Like I would immediately be like, is this, is the shop owner calling the police? Like, I'm not going to leave this store to go to a second location with this guy that just put a gun. (laughs) First of all, I've already probably shit my pants. I need to go home and change. You know what I mean? Like, no. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. Interesting the way they took that. And he's, cause he kept trying to talk him down. Mm -hmm. So it showed, but for Jack's character that he's got a little bit of redeeming qualities that he's actually got, you know, some goodness in him that he's, he's trying to use. Um, another thing that stuck out to me was 
they have no minority friends in there. in lifetime B or their the B timeline. They have a house those house parties. No, I'm like, White. are you serious? Yeah. And that kind of stuck out to me watching it this time. And it hadn't, you know, the first couple of times I've seen it. And I was just like, geez. Yeah. I mean, even so when he's in the boardroom, I was counting. Um, so in the in timeline A, when he's like making everyone work on Christmas Eve until 8.30 p.m., which is a dick move. And then also he calls an emergency meeting for the following day, which is Christmas. At, in the boardroom, there is a there are two women, which I'm like, oh, I'm always counting. Like even when we did like soap dish, I was like, how many women executive, even if they're extras and say nothing, like I just want to see what they're putting out there. Usually it's like one woman at the table. And this one, there was two women. One was of co- a woman of color and one was an Asian woman. So I was like, OK, well, at least in his in his timeline, a life like he There's knows some, people. But yeah, yeah, very whitewashed in timeline B, <laughs> which is a shame. Well, because 2000, man, we, we yeah. found, you know, we've done enough of these movies now where I feel like the biggest offenders of shit like this is like the late 90s and early 2000s, honestly. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, do you think it's because they should know better or we feel like we're holding them more accountable maybe. than like 60s, yeah. 50s? But I just even feel like there's more, I don't know, I'd have to do like a data cross section, but I feel like there's even more characters of color, you know, in the 80s and, and the I don't think we've done too many movies from the seventies, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's always, you're probably right. We hold them to a higher standard. So we're just like, what yeah. the fuck? Like you couldn't even mm-hmm. have one friend who was, you know, black or even like Vietnamese a biracial, biracial. You yeah. You Hispanic. don't have to throw in just like one couple that's of the same ethnicity <laughs> no, too. You can have any one. kind of mixture or background. Maybe yeah. that's New Jersey. I don't know. I haven't been, <laughs> I can't say been, <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring up as well. So, you know, he goes back to his original life. So Annie and Josh, his children just like cease to exist. It's very much like a back to the future type situation because he tells his, you know, ex-girlfriend Kate about this family. And it's like those people, you know, the chances of them being born exactly the same is zero because not zero. Surely so small. That but it's egg, gotta that be sperm. it's gotta be close to zero. Yeah. Hundred percent. That it's not zero percent. But I exactly to your point. Yeah, that that chance of yeah. That's kind of sad. Like he falls in love with this little these little kids and he becomes like the dad. Which I I did look it up. So this timeline is kind of a bit wonky. The filmmakers they did a pretty good job, but there's some Things like the one guy in timeline B is like, oh, I've got a double bypass surgery tomorrow. And then you see him at bowling, bowling? which would have been a couple days later. And apparently in the 2000s, like, well, first of all, I think that's a big surgery. You're not getting up and going bowling, you know, in a couple days. You're in the hospital or at home. But it takes, it basically takes place over eight weeks. So he lives with this family from Christmas day until like just after Valentine's day. That is not enough time to fall in love with these kids you know, and it's yeah, that whole part of it kind of freaked me out that he's like around these children. And I mean, in yeah, but the, if, if it's your kids, though, and like, yeah, I feel like if you would have a sense, you would have a, yeah. yeah, you don't really know him, but I feel like you'd have a sense like, oh, this is this is my child. And then he's in that routine where he's up and feeding him and doing Maybe. this and he's kind of getting he's like, this has been a drag. This is what my life is. And then he starts to be like. Oh, those, what I do like about this movie a lot is 
the the moments that him and Taylioni have and the kids yeah. have where he actually takes a beat and he's like, oh, I could see why timeline B me, you know, Loved kept this. doing this. Exactly. Like love these people that are around him. Okay. Well, I don't want to be married to someone that smashes, steals my chocolate cake and then smashes in my face. <laughs> it's a no for me. It's not, it's a no for me. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So a couple things that else that stuck out to me, even in timeline B, there's a lot of alcohol everywhere. So in timeline A, I feel like this is such a stereotype, but like these, these traders, like life's stressful. He's got a whole wet bar in his office. The guy like helps himself to an alcohol on Christmas Eve, the boss. And then even when he goes to his office at the tire place, he opens the drawer and there's whiskey inside the drawer which I think is weird. I think that's very normalizing, like drinking at work, which is not something that I have personally ever done. And I, I think it would be no. frowned upon if I had a fucking drawer, fucking whiskey inside of it. Yeah. That's like, uh, and if you have to hide it, then you're probably, something's probably Slim. going on there. It's, it's right. like a hangover from like the Mad Men times where they would just like always drink scotch at work. Mm. But that would be so frowned upon now, I think. But partially why I do like that is because timeline B Jack had some flaws then, right? Yeah. So he wasn't living just a perfect life, but he like he stepped up when his dad had a or father-in-law had the the heart thing, issue heart attack and for his family, but yeah, he's probably still you know suppressing that he gave what could have been, right? Yeah. Should, no, and for sure, even the fact that the woman thought it was okay to be so overtly flirty with him, Evelyn, mm-hmm. um, it just made me feel like, do people in the suburbs just have a bunch of kids and then just fuck each other? Like, what? <laughs> anyway, not you're right. From- like, he's a flawed individual. It's not like he had a complete yeah. personality transplant. It's just that he was had grown in a different way. It was very much like Sliding Doors, which I feel like is a good movie we should do. You've mentioned that. I got to watch that movie. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd definitely like to do it on here. So uh, the female characters in this, I feel like the wife character, Kate, is very strong. I did like her. I think she puts up with too much bullshit in this relationship. I a hundred times was like, I would, first of all, I would be like, are you having a midlife crisis? Like, what are you doing? Do you need help? Yeah. Like the suit is a new car type of thing or a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. The fact that Um, he disappeared on Christmas, that would be like, I'm going to stay with my friends level shit. What I think saved him in that instance is that he showed up with the bell for her bike. Mm. Right. He thought it was for him selfishly to get uh, Don Cheadle's character to come back whenever he ringed it or rung it. But I think in Taylioni's eyes, it's like, oh, you ran out because you needed the bell for the finishing touch or whatever. But I just feel like they're, it seemed how they created their um, history in timeline B that they had so much love together that it was very un ordinary what he has been doing those few weeks well and also in the video he watched of himself singing at kate's birthday he was even messing around he was like wait you're my wife which is kind of how he talked to her when he showed up so like maybe he Mm -hmm. was always kind of a prankster yeah but i still feel like as a wife i'd be like you can go fuck yourself you just disappeared on christmas morning or i'd be like literally like what's wrong do you need to go speak to someone but this was the 2000s so people didn't really go to therapy (laughs) i don't think (laughs) Okay, so, I mean, there's not too much to talk about in this movie because it is very mm. much like a clear, you know, half and half type of a type of a thing. I mean, I guess a little bit there is 
um, the idea of like rich versus poor or, you know, corporate versus blue collar because the, the tire job is kind of blue collar. And in timeline B, as you were alluding to earlier, Nick Cage's character runs into his old boss. The boss blows out a tire and then he goes and he impresses, impresses him and gets an opportunity. Do you feel like there was a discussion about like blue collar versus white collar, good versus bad in this film? See, I guess a little bit, but to your points, when, um, who is it? Saul Rubinick, um, Arnie in timeline B, he was the president of the company mm -hmm. and he was way more family oriented. He mm -hmm. had like uh, little kids toys in there and he was kind of, he was kind of an asshole though in timeline B. He like definitely intimidated the fuck out of Nick's yeah, character. Yeah, because it was like competition. Um, but he, he kept from timeline A, he was like texting his family and was like, you know, like, hey, you know, my kids, what about the, my kids or Christmas Eve? But in that corporate side of things, he still kept it. So like, you know, whether it's corporate or blue collar in this movie, they were showing in timeline B that it still could have been done, mm. that you could have been family oriented and been in a position of power. Yeah, I guess I was just also curious because there's the the land sorry, not the landlord, the um doorman and then the neighbor from timeline A. Nick meets them in timeline B. They're very dismissive of him. It's the same with the security guard in the office building. Like he's so differential to uh, yeah. Nick Cage in timeline A. It's just interesting whenever movies kind of touch upon class a little bit, but they don't go all the way. Mm -hmm. I'm like, did he have more commentary about this? Because again, I felt like this movie a little bit was like, oh, if you live in the city in a beautiful apartment and a beautiful and have a, a Ferrari, you're kind of a cunt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. not too much that really jumped out at me. I could see why you like this as a feel good holiday movie. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting conceit. I think they handled it well too. You know, it's got kind of like a magical element to it, but it didn't it feel does. like over the top. It wasn't like too preachy yeah. uh, with that aspect of it. But like, yeah, I, this movie makes me feel good. Things about my family, my friends. Like mm. I text, text my significant other, um, you know, it's like 1145 or midnight when I passed out after watching this. And I just said like, I love you because the way those two have great on camera chemistry, yeah. um, when they're clicking, right. And they're, ha they're laughing at each other and having fun. It, that seemed like a really healthy relationship, even though they seem like they had some financial troubles. Yeah. I don't think kids are cheap <laughs> for what no, I hear. They, they are not. They are not cheap. <laughs> and then she was working pro bono. Mm -hmm. um, so it just shows like she's got a big heart and she just wants to help people and money wasn't an issue for her. So. Okay. So I was nodding off like I was mentioning, even though it wasn't late at night. So why did she call him in timeline A? Did we ever establish that? Yeah. She was moving all of her stuff to Paris. I yeah. believe. And I think she had something of his. Got it. And okay. it was like, hey, yeah, I was like, if, if you she need seemed, this. She seemed kind of surprised to see him at the end when he went back to his original life. And I'm like, didn't she call him? Yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. And left a message with his assistant. So yeah, I think she had something of his. Also, I kind of feel like a dick saying this, but I'm like, go to Paris, babe. Just go. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have necessarily chosen the wrong, she was just like always putting him and like the idea of a family first in both timelines. And I think that's kind of the only thing that annoyed me about that character. It's like, be selfish. It's fine to be selfish. She definitely asked him to stay in the first timeline and that's fine. But then clearly her life in timeline A was also great. Like she had this great apartment, she had an assistant. So 
she, he was always kind of calling the shots, I felt like, a little bit, which I kind of annoyed yeah, but, me. But she was going after what she wanted, though. And mm. she says it. She's like, yeah, it took a little time to get over it. Like, my mm. heart was broken, but I'm like, I'm good. Like, I have a great life. Mm-hmm. And I think he just convinces her like, hey, just stay a little bit longer. Give it a try. And you can get another flight. So let's just talk. Cut to, they just bang for two weeks. Then he's like, all right, I'm over it again. (laughs) She's like, it was cool. Like in timeline B and he's like in awe of her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, wow, this whole time I never stopped loving you. And it's just, yeah, you got probably got caught up in the grind of, you know, pushing to be successful and, and left or forgot about her. So this is kind of what I wanted to ask you. Do you have any kind of past interactions that, if you would have made one choice, could have been totally different with another person. That's so funny because I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a couple times I've been in a few serious-ish relationships and my university boyfriend, which I think they were university boyfriend, girlfriend, right? That's mm-hmm. how they met. My university boyfriend, uh, We, I went to Hong Kong after uni for like six months because I was lost and I was like living with my mom and like shit went south with my uni boyfriend, which is fair enough because I was also a hot mess at the age of like 21, 22. And I remember, so, you know, we broke up. It was all, but it was all like long distance. It was terrible. It was so sad. And then I think he thought I was just going to come back to Sydney and, you know, we could maybe pick it up or whatever. But instead, my friend went to go work in a summer camp and there was like two jobs left at the same summer camp. So I was like, same. I mean, I I basically just like copied her and applied to the same camp and we went together. And I will never forget... Uh, I don't, I guess I just like, didn't tell my ex-boyfriend, like we weren't in touch. Cause for me, when you break up, like it's scorched earth. Like I block delete you. I just can't, I'm too emotional. Like I miss people mm-hmm. deeply. I, you know, there was a breakup before I met my current partner that like, it took me a year to get over. Um, honestly, it was really, really rough. And so I remember I was in Canada, like maybe a week before camp and camp had like bad reception and stuff too. So I was kind of like going underground for like two months and I shot him an email and was like, Hey, I'm in Toronto. (laughs) And he like lost his mind at me. He was really like, I thought you were going to come back. I thought we were going to talk about this. And I think if I had known that I probably would have gone back to Australia, to be honest, and tried to make it work. Cause I did love him very, very much, you know, but yeah, kind of sliding doors moment. Like if he hadn't, if I hadn't been a free bird to go to Canada to then come to the U S you know, it's, it's, it was really like kind of two relationships where it was turning points. So So I'm forever grateful. If you go and you walk Ollie and Don Cheadle shows up, (laughs) would, and he's offering you a glimpse, would you take it? Well, he didn't offer Nick, though, yeah, did he? Yeah, I'm saying, I'm, but I'm giving you the choice. I'm if, it, saying, if it's temporary, sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, okay. but at the same time, then, it is hard. Like, you can see Nick's really conflicted, right? Like, he's, mm-hmm. it, it would be hard to fall. Have you ever had, like, a serious dream? Like, I've had dreams where I dreamt that I have kids, and then I wake up. I sometimes like feel mourning in the morning and then immediately like sort of goes away because it's sort of brief. But yeah. I did read this thing where this guy had a head injury and he lived I don't remember the whole thing. I'll have to find it and send it to you. But he lived this whole life where he had a wife and kids and he came back too. And they just didn't exist. It was something that his brain had just like created. And he mourned them for years. Like, do you think Nick, Nick's character, like eight weeks of living with this little girl who he's like bonding with, like that's going to take a toll. You know, that girl is never going to exist. Like 
that's kind of what I was saying before. Like that's fucked up. That like pull pull your heart out kind of yeah. stuff. Would you, yeah. So, he, he, okay. So what's she, your like yeah. moment? Because I shared mine. Um. Yeah. There's probably close to to two back from Wisconsin, right? And my in my head, my whole thing was always like, I want to move to California. Um. But yeah, there's like a couple. I think there's there's probably two women that. I could have seen myself with if it went a certain way, mm. right? That like stayed there. But my thing was always I was unhappy, like legit unhappy below the surface living in Wisconsin. Mm. I had to get out of there like since I was like a teenager. So that always was like the foundation for me to get out of there. So like I, I think I would have been just – I wouldn't have been probably a great partner mm-hmm. if I would have stayed with either of those women and and tried to make a life together. Cause I always been a, would have felt that pull. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not happy here. And the two women that I discussed this with, they never, they didn't want to move. One had just moved back from the East coast and she's like, I'm not moving for a guy again. Understandable. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, so it'd be interesting to see that glimpse. Like would timeline B David found happiness or I think what I, I think how he would I have honestly knowing it. you. Yeah, but I just I don't feel like I would ever that flame would never be ignited. Yeah. Or sorry, or I've, snuffed I've, out. Right. That flame inside my stomach never would have been snuffed out. And I always would have been day I'm a super I'm a I'm a dreamer, hundred percent. And I just always would have been felt that pull for me. I always, so in, in Chinese, it's like itchy feet is like when you're going to go and travel, it's like, oh, she's got itchy feet. And so I've had that, you know, since I was a kid, we moved around a lot. And I will say that this is the first time in my life that I don't have itchy feet. Like, you know, I was in Barcelona a few months ago and I was literally like, I could live here, but I think I'm so happy now. Like I found my person and I found my family, my chosen family, you know, it's hard to like, I also do think a little bit that happiness is a choice. Like I think if Nick, Nick's character had been a little bit less of a dickhead, he would have really appreciated, you know, what he had right away in the, in timeline B. And he also would have appreciated his life in timeline A. Like he did seem fairly happy, but it was also a little bit lonely. They, that was kind of the message they were driving home. Yeah. But I do think happiness is a choice. Like I think if you are doing 110% in your place where you are right now, like, and you are grateful for the things around you, then you can be happy. Mm -hmm. But I will say like, I don't look over my shoulder anymore. I'm living in the city I've always wanted to live in. You know, I've got a green card. So I'm making my way towards always being able to be in America. Um, But yeah, I mean, of course you think about those alternative timelines. Like what if I'd moved to New York instead of LA, which was honestly my, like my top choice. Maybe I wouldn't be doing the job I want to do, but maybe I'd be with someone else or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So many like infinite possibilities. Mm -hmm. If I, if I'd gone on exchange to the UK or if I'd gone, a lot of Australians go to London, that was also an option, you know? Mm -hmm. You would be with Jack Campbell because you guys would have met in London. (laughs) At his internship? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, What about you? Do you think think that everything worked out the way it was supposed to? Uh, Yeah. And I I still get, as you were saying, itchy feet just 
because like I dream so much, um, mm-hmm. but it always pulls me back. Like when I get, when I snap back to reality, um, yeah, very happy with my partner, uh, very happy with my friends. I do miss family, um, but they knew the decision I made was for my happiness and they, you know, respect it and love me f- like for doing it. Right. So yeah. Um, I, this, this movie plugs at my heartstrings a little bit because I felt like, and you have sacrificed to get here. I feel like I've sacrificed to get here, especially with our families mm-hmm. um, and, and other loved ones from back home. So um, I think that's part of this movie that gets me, but yeah, it's just, um, yeah. Nice. Not, yeah. Well, it's getting to that time where we have to give someone from the cast or crew a shout out. I'm going to go first because I always let you go first. Yes, you do. I'm going to shout out the script and continuity department, Martin Kitrossa. So script and continuity basically make sure that everything gets filmed. There were a few continuity problems I noticed with the olives in Kate's glass. There were a couple of other things, her <laughs> hairstyle, but this is a very important job and it was pretty minimal. So Martin did a good job. Martin is also a writer and director. So his credits are numerous. He was the script supervisor on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Hateful Eight, Dumb and Dumber 2, Django Unchained, which is one of your favorite movies, I know, The Three Mm -hmm. Stooges, Kill Bill, Inglorious Bastards. Um, He's been around this guy, and it seems like he loves to work with Tarantino. Usually, if somebody has worked with somebody before and they do a good job, um, they'll just keep coming back for more, because like he did Reservoir Dogs. It looks like his first credit was in 1980 for Friday the 13th. So Martin, sorry to call you out for the olives, uh, but we see you <laughs> and we appreciate you. We see you. We appreciate you. Who you got? So I have Nancy Green Keys and she's the casting director for this movie. Mm. Um thought the casting was phenomenal. It was wild too, because I just saw like a audition tape for Don Cheadle um, for some movie he did um, with Denzel way back in the day. And he like crushed the audition and then they showed the scene that he read for too. Just a fantastic actor. Um, And then Tay Leone, like can't take my eyes off her when she's on screen. Mm. I'll watch her in any movie. Like I might watch that, um, Madam Secretary or whatever now, you know, now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Just, you have a crush just on her? Crush on her. And I love, you know, she's a great actor. But um, Nancy's also done like Cassid for John Q, Denzel movie, How High, which is one of my favorite movies we mm. should do on this part sometime. Both Rush Hours. Um, and yeah, she just, uh, The Notebook, she, did, she was casting director for. So um, I thought the casting was great all the way down, adults all the way down to the kids. So Nancy Green Keys, we see you and we appreciate you. We see you and you, we appreciate you. And thanks for giving one guy of color a chance. <laughs> so yeah, that that aside. But I mean, like I said, she did she did a lot of movies with a lot of minorities in them. Yes, I'm so, teasing. I'm yeah, teasing. I know. But uh, you, you you are valid for that. Gotta call it out. Mm-hmm. So David, I guess it's that time where we have to decide if this movie aged like milk or not. What saith you? Saith I saith that this movie. Uh, this movie aged just a tinge for me and it's because of what you just mentioned the you know the no diversity mm-hmm. and the main thing for me was that friend group in timeline mm-hmm. b like just give me something mm-hmm. you guys are that like 
I wouldn't want to be in that timeline. If uh, you know what I mean, I would be want the that. token guy for sure. Exactly. And I, and I would, that's how I kind of felt in Wisconsin. So I, I would be unhappy in that timeline. So, um, besides that, I, I like this movie as a holiday movie. Cause I always talk about this time of year. I'm super like introspective and reflective of my life. Cause I have more time to think and sit down and like, kind of look at myself in the mirror. Um, and he got to do that. And I feel like if everybody had the chance to, I don't feel like there's a lot of people that would say no to taking a glimpse of just like, oh, what what life could be like? Because it is interesting. So I like this movie for that. Um, the direction they took it and acting was great. And yeah, it gives me gives me some family feels around the holiday season. Mm. What about you? Uh, I think this movie aged like Mel. I think this movie aged like... Um, the snow outside his house that was kind of getting a little bit brown, you know, for people walking all over it. For me, it was just a little bit too much like, oh, look at this career guy. Like, what a shit bag. Ugh, he should be a dad. Like, maybe I'm just a bit <laughs> sensitive to it. You know, my dad is always mentioning that I should have kids, which is a lot sometimes when you're, you know, like I'm just out here living my life and Nick mm -hmm. in timeline A was out there living his life. And, you know, it didn't seem like he was really that bad of a person and his decisions that he made, you know, were his career and himself and his health and, you know, the things that he wanted to buy. So I just felt like it was a, it was almost borderline, you know, kind of judging that lifestyle. And I think like, however you want to live, if you want to have five kids and live in the suburbs, if you want to live in the middle of nowhere and have no kids and, you know, run a successful online business, if you want to live in the city and drive a really nice car, you know, everybody is just doing their thing and, and looking over someone else's fence and making any kind of judgment about them, which I'm not saying Don Cheadle's character did, but it was a little bit like, here's another version of you. Yeah. I love that take. I just would say I the big thing about this movie is the character like tests that he gives. Not saying you should go out and test people's character, but when you're going through your life, whatever decisions you make or like kind of lifestyle you choose, yeah. I would say if it feels right to do something, like do that right thing. Yeah. You know? So then Don Cheadle will give you the pass. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, you can daydream about what your life would be like if you had made different decisions. But I think for me, the most important thing is being happy in the reality that you do currently exist in. And that's just taking stock and doing your gratitudes. And even if you feel like you have nothing to be grateful for, that's not true. You know, there have been dark times, you know, especially during the pandemic when everything was shut down. And I would force myself to write in my journal, like, just the th even the things around me, like I would sit on the balcony, I'd be like, I'm so grateful for the sunshine. I'm so grateful for the fact that we live in a safe city that, you know, isn't having bombs dropped on it or, you know, that I have access to education and clean water and stuff that like people don't have. Yeah, um, the small everyday things that you wouldn't second guess or think about yeah. twice. It's just, but we get those every yeah. day, like, yeah. and they luxury to some people. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important to be, to take stock in the moment that you're in. Like you said, be introspective for sure, you know, be grateful. Um, but yeah, I think I'm glad I watched this movie again. I don't need to think I need to see it. It's definitely not in my top five Christmas. I love that it is for you, yeah. but you know, I'm it's fun to, to like watch these man. holiday movies and, and see what people are, are vibing with. There's so many yeah. Christmas movies now far out. Yeah. It's, uh, we were talking about that last weekend too. Like Christmas is that thing that's got so much built around it. Music, TV, yeah. 
um, movies, food, traditions, yeah, plays. Yeah. A ton of stuff. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that's our, this is our last show for 2022. We decided we're going to take a little break. We'll be back in 2023. And, um, yeah, from all of us and by all of us, I mean, David and I, uh, you know, we're grateful for everyone listening. We hope that you have a safe and happy and healthy holiday season. We hope that you have a great new year. Take some time to, you know, write down your goals, be reflective. And we can't wait to bring you more movies in 2023. Yeah, thank you guys for everything. We love y'all. Yeah, I love y'all. So, David, you should just go ahead and check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Because gross milk is gross. That's our show. We'll see you in 2023. Bye.